Hello, it's Wednesday the 29th of November. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I'm only holding on to your marbles because I've lost mine. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review where we take the snarky, snarling UK press, put it in a cute and cuddly little fleece and on a super strong leash, then take it for a walk around the park to calm it down. Don't worry about that growling. Its bark is far worse than its bite, honest. But don't offer it any treats, just in case it starts biting again. We're out Monday to Friday, with weekends off to dig out the fold-away Christmas tree from under your bed. And if you're worried about what gifts to get your loved ones this year, I'll be telling you how you can get some excellent Paper Cuts merch later on. (laughs) I can't believe you're laughing at that. It's so sad. (laughs) Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Everything's gone green. It's nearly COP28, so Rishi has come up with some eco-ideas. Ireland's ire. What did Conor McGregor have to do with last week's Dublin riots? And birds do it, cuttlefish do it. The Guardian is here to tell us all about the weird sex lives of fish and fowl. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we love a tight word count and an even tighter deadline. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and joining me on the show today is New Statesman columnist and housing hooray-er, it's John Ellidge. Hi, John. Hooray. <laughs> and making his Paper Cuts debut is comedian and ex-classical musician, that's very impressive, Vittorio Angeloni. Yes, I think it puts an expectation on me being some kind of highfalutin artsy elite, but uh, I would like to disavow those accusations immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. Leave now. <laughs> but thank you for having me. <laughs> so what do we have on the front pages today? John, we'll start with you. So the Telegraph has uh, a big splash on patients at risk from virtual GP sessions. Mm, because obviously it's readership consists entirely of people who can't use a computer. So they're terrified of the idea of not being able to see a doctor. The Times, call to close visa routes for cheaper foreign staff. Mm. We'll see how the care home system copes with that. The Guardian, disease could kill more people in Gaza than the war, UN warns. God, this is all very depressing, isn't it? It's incredible. <laughs> it's like one day it would be nice if someone gave me some good news to read out, but we are where we are. Oh, um, here's, here's a nice one. Uh, Robert Jenrick has gone rogue. Ooh! Jenrick goes rogue with dig at number 10 on migration. Oh, it turned out not to be that nice after all. No. Sorry, John. <laughs> So, Vittorio, what have you got? We've got The Sun uh, with They Stole Her Voice, which is about Hamas threats to my Emily, about Emily Hand made her too afraid to speak, even though she has kind of been released recently. We had The Mirror, book names Royal Racist, which is basically another book calling another member of the royal family racist to, I assume, a different group of people this time. Um, it's the same book. The same book? It's, well, it's the same new book. It's Omid Scobie's book. And what's happened is they, it, in Holland, <laughs> they, by mistake, printed the name of the royal racist. <laughs> this is the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> and so the papers are fuming because obviously they can't print it. It's not allowed. And they have to, and I imagine Omid Scobie's fuming because they have to pulp all the books. It's like you can't. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they're going to lose a lot of money on it. But it's just quite funny that they printed it <laughs> i think by mistake might be yeah you know yeah it might be a leak and then we have the mail somewhere in here with a scooby book pulled for naming royal races scooby. by mistake scooby yeah um scooby <laughs> scooby Say again. named the royal Whoa, what is this? <laughs> that was an attempt scooby 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 scooby. that's much better <laughs> 
So the same story from the mail and the star we have your daft pair of witchetty grubs which is uh, complaints about Anton Deck uh, and the uh, animal ethics of I'm a Celeb from Chris Packham. Oh, there you go. Witchetty grubs. Right, I feel like we should go to The Telegraph on page four because our dear leader, Rishi Sunak, has gone all journalist and written a column. It's very exciting, isn't it, John? You look very excited. It's terribly exciting. It's the most exciting thing to happen to me all week. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So what's the column about? Uh, The column is about trees. Oh, how Um, nice. So it starts with, what happened at Sycamore Gap earlier this year angered the nation. It's nice that he's noticed that sometimes the nation is angry about things. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sycamore Gap, as, as listeners will recall, was uh, there's that tree by Hadrian's Wall that someone cut down in the middle of the night. Apparently, that's the major national crisis that requires the Prime Minister's <laughs> attention. Never mind the fact the NHS is fucking falling apart or anything like that. No, no, no. Um, but um, because of this, he's worked out that people care about nature. Mm. The COP28 environmental conferences is, is coming up. So he has set out four... Count them four uh, environmental policies. One of which is uh, so, first up, we will create a further 34 landscape recovery projects. Mm which apparently will restore woods, peat bogs, wetlands and so on. That's that's all right. That yeah. one's not bad. Secondly, he finds it deeply troubling that uh, today children spend less than half the time in nature than his generation did. I am the same age as Rishi Sunak. I did not grow up in a fucking Just William novel. But anyway, let's... Um, <laughs> To deal with this, to deal with the fact that kids are not are not spending enough time in nature, uh, there's millions of pounds of new funding to support them to get out there. It doesn't say what that money is going to be used for. No, and it's millions, but it's 2.5 million. So that's like millions. It's yeah, not it's million, like, millions. It is millions, it's millions. Techni- but on the technicality. Yeah. Thirdly, this one's my personal favourite, because he worries that, because it's important that people in cities have access to nature too, He's long promoted something called pocket parks, mm. which is basically where they stick a flower plot in a in a in a parking space. Um, <laughs> and somehow he's got from pocket parks to finding a second national forest. I know, I love this. There's Not be creating, a, finding. Yeah, it's a competition. There's going to be a competition <laughs> to find a second national forest, as though you're just going to stumble across one. It's great. A countrywide search, apparently. Also, where is where is the first <laughs> national forest? I hear you ask. Is it perhaps the new forest, which takes up a lot of Hampshire and is it, is it Sherwood Forest? That's a very fair. No, apparently it's uh, a 200 square mile one across Derbyshire, Leicestershire, and Staffordshire. Has anyone noticed this forest? No, not really. I mean, I think it's just <laughs> they've just drawn a line on a map, haven't yeah, they? Got there's does, some trees. It does somewhat prove the point that we're all missing a giant forest. <laughs> we, we could have missed another one. Quite literally, the country can't see the wood for the trees. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the fourth policy is my favourite one though, because it's not even a policy. It's like he's going to talk about nature at COP28. <laughs> The fourth policy is basically, I will write this column. Um, What I really like about this is this column is in the Telegraph on page four. Next to it, deliberately, I assume, is a story headlined, Massacre Trees to be Moved for Cycle Lane. Because the Telegraph is very worried that in Plymouth, some trees are being moved to make way for a cycle and pedestrian path. I just find it weird that like the Telegraph's decided the problem here is cyclists. (laughs) It's so funny in the in the battle for environmentalism, they've gone, these bastards need to be stopped, and it's cyclists. Yeah, always. Those two-wheeled bastards. 
<laughs> it's just such I love the complete kind of toddler's approach to environmentalism by Rishi Sunak of just coming out someone's gone you really need to talk about the environment more people really care about that and he's gone well trees are nice actually I think yeah it's exactly like that it really yeah. reminds me of a kid's school project yeah. do you know what I mean it's, it's like green... now you're in the green team <laughs> think of some ideas we'll find a new forest <laughs> as we speak he's pret sticking leaves into his exercise book <laughs> Now, at the top of the Telegraph's front page, there is a headline for a column inside. Essentially, it's about the state of play in Ireland because Dublin has been going through a bit of stuff recently. Last Thursday, there were some very upsetting scenes of right-wing thugs looting and setting fire to what seemed to be the whole of O'Connell Street. And the weirdest thing about this is somehow MMA fighter Conor McGregor has been caught up in all of it. So, Vittorio, explain to us what's been going on. I feel like the Irish correspondent for yes, come on now. today, which is good. <laughs> um, so basically, the, the, the context for this is last Thursday around 2pm, uh, three children and a crash worker were stabbed in an attack on this kind of crash in the little school area by a French Algerian man who has had Irish nationality for 20 years. He has had mental health issues and appeared to be in a psychotic state. Off the back of this, this so the attack was kind of stopped by various people at the time. Off the back of this, there were riots in Dublin, people kind of kicking off in quite a kind of right-wing nationalistic fashion. I'm sure there were some people there who were just concerned for the safety of their local children and things like this, but it was certainly largely attended by far-right groups. And while all this was happening, Conor McGregor decided to take to Twitter to talk about it for legal reasons. I am saying he talked about it and mm. and um, kind of suggested that Ireland were at war. I mean, those are literally his word, words, Ireland is at war, saying that this is a huge issue that needs to be confronted about kind of mass immigration and not checking people properly at the borders is causing all these kind of attacks and issues that people are very, very upset about. Yeah. There's a weird, he's been kind of hijacked, hasn't he, Conor McGregor? So essentially, you know, he is an amazing fighter. He's mm-hmm. had to retire because he broke his leg a couple of years ago. But when he was when he first came up, he was incredibly exciting, wasn't he? Yeah, unbelievable. Really, like, an, a, a really talented fighter, really unbelievably exciting. Everybody loved him. But then over the last few years, he's become less of a, a kind of joyous figure, hasn't mm-hmm. he? And he's been co-opted by people like Britain First, so there's this really weird tweet that came out associated with Britain First. It was this amazing AI picture, generated picture, wasn't it, of Conor McGregor, full beard, he doesn't have a beard anymore, but full beard looking out into the distance with a burning bus behind him because a lot of buses were set on fire in these yeah. riots and essentially kind of what looks like uh, kind of football hooligans dressed in black. You can't see their faces going, whoa, we're here to kind of help Conor. Underneath that... Paul Golding, who's the leader of Britain First, wrote, Conor McGregor should call a freedom march in Dublin. Hundreds of thousands would turn up. The people of Ireland would be solidly behind him. So it's like he's been co-opted. Even if he doesn't want to to, to have anything to do with it, he's been co-opted. How, I mean, like Irish nationalists, as I understand it, have historically not felt brilliant about organisations like with, with Britain in the name. I know, exactly. This is the kind of bizarre thing and it's kind of, uh, uh, I believe Tommy Robinson was showing his support, which is nice of him to get back to his Irish roots, actually, <laughs> as formerly known as Stephen Yaxley Lennon. <laughs> but yeah, so Irish nationalism has broadly over the course of time been quite a left-wing um, endeavour, similar to kind of like in South America and places like that. So it's, it's kind of this different culture of nationalism. But now it's just been, as is true across Europe, is kind of nationalism 
extremism is becoming quite rife with anti-immigration and further towards the right political ideas behind it. Um, but it's kind of some. It's somewhat. Conor McGregor being co-opted into it, but I also think as a man whose career was essentially punching foreigners for quite a long time, <laughs> <laughs> it's not entirely surprising, I would say. Yeah, maybe not, I have to say. I, I am going to confess at this point, I have only the haziest idea of who Conor McGregor is. You'd like, recognise him if you saw him. Big beard, quite tough. It's like one of those things where, like, you know, you... you some, I'm stealing someone's tweet here, but someone on Twitter the other day compared something to like, you know, being away from school for three days and when they came back, everyone had a yo-yo. It, feel, it <laughs> yeah. feels like that. It's like, who, who is this person? I've missed this whole thing. So I'm going to shamelessly uh, talk about the far-right politics bit. I think there was a moment a few years ago, like after after Brexit and Trump, where like we had this idea that like this kind of like rise of far-right politics was a very Anglo phenomenon. Uh, and you can see bits of it in Australia as well. I always thought that was nonsense because there were a lot of near misses, like Marine Le Pen in France mm. or like that Austrian presidential election where they came this close to electing an actual Nazi. And I kind of think like the so that there's this sort of weird inverted patriotism where like, you know, people on, on the liberal left sometimes go around thinking, oh, no, we, are, we are like the worst country mm. when actually the forces that are pushing people to, to these kind of extreme right wing politics, they are kind of more global than that. They're not just happening. Yeah. In, in Britain or America. Yeah, exactly. And now they're happening in Ireland. Um, I have to say that, um, uh, you know, um, Colin McGregor is interesting, I suppose, but he's got this sister that I'm slightly obsessed with. Can we talk about her? Well, his whole family are <laughs> kind of mental, broadly. I'd, like, just an absolute ragtag bunch of people who never should have been in the public eye whatsoever. <laughs> They're just not built for it. Um, but there's this, I think what you're referring to is Aoife McGregor's very famous viral moment of a, a voicemail that she left for a dog groomer's <laughs> Furious. Absolutely like, furious. Like more incensed than anyone's ever been about anything that they wouldn't wash her dog or something <laughs> like that. And just that flew around the internet. I mean, I do urge people to listen to the <laughs> the Aoife, the Aoife um, voicemail. So what happened was the groomers kind of phoned her up and left her this message, slightly tetchy, saying, look, you, you book the dog in and then you don't turn up. You're two hours late. And you're always late because you're getting your hair and nails done, right? Mm. And then Aoife is so mad. <laughs> she is so mad. And the main thing she shouts is, I can't do her accent. I would never try. But what she shouts is, the neck of you. Yeah. <laughs> and she shouts it really out. She goes, the neck of you, like this, right? And it's so kind of um, moving <laughs> that it was turned into a, into a twee indie anthem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael Fry turned it into a wonderful... <laughs> indie tune for the masses. <laughs> um, she also went out with, I don't know if people know this or not, but the Kinnahans are very uh, dangerous and scary gangsters from Dublin. And she went out with one of their right-hand men. He's called Graham the Wig Whelan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, then, you know, they're not dating anymore. Anyway, he was arrested for money laundering. And when he was arrested, he said he got the cash from up my Swiss roll, which basically means up his hole (laughs) and they could keep it he also said I'm a dangerous criminal and to look me up (laughs) (laughs) which is a a bold defence in court I think (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. So um, yes, the, these are these are the the various aspects of Conor McGregor and his family. Alison Pearson, quite sadly, has jumped on this, and she's written a column about quote the splendid Irish mammies with the "don't mess with me" expressions blocking roads. So patronising. But essentially, her argument is immigrants don't mix with inverted commas, you know, native people. Right. That's that's mm. her idea, and. I have to say that uh, given this awful attack, mm-hmm. that the people that came to stop the attack were from Brazil. Yeah, so it was a, so a man, a Deliveroo cyclist. It's hard to describe what happened without it sounding somewhat comical. He stopped the attacker by hitting him with his bike helmet. Yeah. So he kind of took his bike helmet off and whacked the guy and stopped the attack. And also some of the victims of the attack were the children of immigrant families and it's almost this thing of like well yes just because that person was an immigrant the victims were an immigrant and the hero of the moment was an immigrant it's like they are just representative of the broader population because they are just people it's it's just absolutely ridiculous that like there are so many crimes in recent times that have been done by Irish people but all these same people who are adamant they're, they're protecting children they're protecting women I mean Irish people have been doing horrible things to Irish people for much longer than immigrants have been doing horrible things to Irish people but it, it is just that kind of brazen we've seen it in, in England we see it in Argentina you see it across Europe of people just going oh well something's gone wrong who should we blame and just mm. pointing the finger at the kind of the coasts generally I bet the people of Ireland are delighted that Alison Pearson stuck a fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> or everything out. Our hero. <laughs> now, in The Guardian Online today, there is a highly informative article about animals and their unusual shagging habits. Well, It covers sea animals and birds. There's a vague news tag, which is that weird bat sex story that was in the papers last week about how bats somehow get pregnant without having penetrative sex by bat frotting. I would like it noted at this point I had to Google what frotting meant. (laughs) (laughs) I would like it noted that I don't believe the bats. So look, this is a Guardian piece, because so of course it's an essay, but we decided to change it into like a top 10, the paper cuts weird sex top 10 of <laughs> sea animals and birds. So here we go. John, would you like to pick out your highlights or tips, if you will, from all these weird animals? Sorry, what are you implying? <laughs> what's, what's going? We've learned about frotting already. It's yeah, a very educational morning here. Uh, so like, before we get into the specific examples, I would like to read a sentence from uh, the introduction to this piece by Philip Hoare. Salvatore, the cane snake, so orange and shiny, he looks as though he's glowing from within as he twines around my arm in loving, even sensual embrace. Mm, that's a kink. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're into, mate, that's fine. Just don't have to write about it in the national newspaper. Anyway, some, some examples. Apparently, uh, dolphins mate up to three times in five minutes at great speed as they swim together in large numbers. So basically, it's just a massive moving orgy. <laughs> There's Dolphins also... are bad, man. I, like when you read it, they oh, are no, really is... naughty. Oh no, they are. Like this is really naughty. That's the word we're going with. <laughs> so there's a quote: here. "Dolphins appear addicted to sex play," and then it outlines the sex play, which is males have been seen inserting their penises in sharks' orifices, into the gaps between turtles' bodies and shells, even into dead fish. Sex play. We're calling this sex play. We've got rape and necrophilia <laughs> across the species barrier. Dolphins appear addicted to sex 
sex play. <laughs> it's literally they will just put their willies in anything. That's yeah. what that's what it is. And they are like they are unbelievably intelligent as well. That's yeah. the whole thing about dolphins is they're super switched on. <laughs> they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, definitely know. What uh, apparently, doing. North Atlantic right whales, mm. uh, in their determination to pass on their genes, two males at once will enter a female. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if they ask her or anything like that. I, I, is that really? And about- can I just? Re- there's another bit to this story, John. You should definitely mention, which is they have the largest testes of any animal on Earth. That is so revolting, and their penises are up to three meters long. So you think they would ask the lady before? I think the testes are in the bonus features of the Brendan Fraser film. <laughs> can I just say, by the way, Philip Philip Hall, who wrote this piece, tweets as Philip Whale. Ooh. So he's definitely into it. <laughs> <laughs> Male killer whales regularly have penetrative sex with each other, apparently rehearsing for mating with females. Over the course of 126 field trips, homosexual behaviour was most common with heterosexual coupling rarely seen. But it's all practice. Yeah, it's all I lo- practice. I love that that sentence could be applied to like certain public school field <laughs> trips as well. Over the course of 126 field trips, homosexual <laughs> behaviour was most common. You kind of go, well, yeah, what, go, what happens on tour stays on tour, lads, go for it. <laughs> Cuttlefish do a lovely dance. Like, oh, the cuttlefish are lovely, aren't they? Uh, the lovely dance like one from the court of a civilised French king and then mate head to head. After a few moments of stillness, the male uses his left forearm to take a sperm packet and place it in a special receptacle below the female's beak. That is a very, very polite form of sex, isn't it? <laughs> kind of rub, you do a dance, you rub your heads together and then the male uses his left fourth arm. I mean, that's what a if bit you weird. use the wrong arm? <laughs> Is that a massive faux pas in cuttlefish society? And they were bitching about it in the group chat. Yeah, it's like in South Asia, what hand you're allowed to eat yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. So it's what the left one. What hand are you allowed to dispose your sperm, sperm packet with? It's third right arm, the fucking sicko. <laughs> but he places it in a special receptacle, which I'm kind of thinking is a beautiful kind of like bowl somehow. And he put it in. It's not what that means. That's not what that means. Below the females big, they're just spunking on their chin. Oh, shush now. <laughs> I was quite into this one. It's quite romantic. The cuttlefish technically have chins. <laughs> I'm calling it a chin. <laughs> what about the slipper limpets? Uh, slipper the limpets. slipper limpets are outrageous. Slipper limpets clamp upon one another in little towers of seven or more shells, gradually changing in sex from the largest, oldest females at the bottom to the younger males at the top. If a female dies, a male will change sex and take their place. That is unbelievable. And I have to say, no wonder the female dies. They've got seven people. <laughs> seven, well, seven limpets. <laughs> like, just like towering on top of them. She's going to get squished so she dies. And then one from the top, I think, hops down underneath. It's just turns into a girl. It's really awkward if you're at an orgy and someone dies and then you have to switch gender. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, talking of this, by the way, and also in the introduction, there's a bit about two giant African snails in this zoo where Philip Poor is being felt up by Salvatore the snake. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And they thought both the snails were female, but then one of them changed sex and they had some eggs. And I was just reading this thinking, like, even, even snails have gone woke. Yeah, they're very woke. <laughs> <laughs> they were slightly slow to come to it, but they've finally caught up on trans issues. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There's and loads more of this. Am I keeping going? There's right. just one. I'd just like to finish with one which is really good, which is the South African penguins who mate in front of their fellow penguins who all gather around like a tutting audience. <laughs> 
<laughs> like giving marks out of 10, gawping and disapproving at once. That is such a bad idea, isn't yeah. it? I read this whole thing and it just gave me so much anxiety in a way I can't explain or justify it. <laughs> Oh, God. I'd quite like to have sex surrounded by penguins. <laughs> We're cutting it there. <laughs> now, as you all know, at Papercuts Towers, great headlines are our great happiness. We frown at the long and tedious, we scowl at the boring and literal, and we will never stop celebrating the funny, silly and clever. So what about today? What great headlines do we have? John? So the star has uh, a, a lovely tenuous story uh, about um, how space star Nick Frost. I love space, but it was a quarter of a century ago. I know you'd think Nick will be like known for something else. Now. He's yeah. worked quite hard over those <laughs> well, years. I mean, to be fair, now wait for the headline. Apparently, when he was twelve years old, he's now fifty-one. When he was twelve years old, he had a near-death experience when he stuck his thumb in a light bulb socket and got an electric shock that sent him about ten feet from where I began. So just to recap, this is a story about Nick Frost, star of a sitcom from a quarter century ago, and it's something that happened 40 years ago. There's a lovely Photoshop of the actor um, with, with his hair standing on end. Anyway, the, uh, the headline is Hot Buzz. Very good, because he was in Hot Fuzz. They've also got two on page 11. Firstly, there's a story about a mum who has eaten a Christmas dinner every day for 23 years and claims it's a cost-of-living hack. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Jane Winteringham, 68, has devoured more than 8,000 roast dinners since 2000. They've done the maths there. Uh, anyway, the headline is Sproutrageous. That's very good, and I respect her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also a story here about, with a subhead reading telly boffiness ill women don't suffer as much oh really so this well, is man flu man flu is real despite hectoring wives suspicions boffiness Sorry, my eyes are rolling relaxing. right back now <laughs> oh I've just got boffin boffiness or boffiness mm. like girl boffins they yeah. have girl boffins these days yeah uh, anyway the headline here is man I feel rough no, oh, poor man. <laughs> okay, Victoria, what do you have? You've got the sun, right? Yes, I have the sun. We have an article about uh, Aldi. I have announced for a week uh, they've slashed the price of this bottle of red wine to £3.49 a bottle um, and it has been hailed by experts. I would love to put experts in inverted commas there as Britain's best value booze for Christmas. And I think looking closer into the article, the experts have basically said, yes, it's vaguely drinkable and three quid so do buy it actually um, but the headline is uh, £3.49 Plonka Stonker Plonka Stonker very nice that's good, that's good I quite stuff. like Stonking Plonk okay <laughs> Next up on page 17 of The Sun, we have uh, basically scientists have decided that injecting fat cells into the scalp could stop and even reverse balding and they've gone for the headline Fat Sit for Air Loss Fat Sit for Air Okay, okay, I get that. But, like, if you inject all the fat into your head, then your head will just get bigger and you'll have more... You'll need, there'll be more space to put the hair oh, You'll look like the brain out of Pinky and the Brain. That's yeah. true. It's sort of a false economy. It is. You'll have two, more surface area, I'm saying, for the hair. But Maybe anyway. this is where Rashi will find his new forest. Yeah. <laughs> I would simply not go bald. Yes, just don't. Just don't bother. Okay. <laughs> Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and don't go bald, actually. <laughs> okay. So there was a football match last night. It was a very important one for Newcastle. Mm -hmm. And they led, they were playing PSG, and they led 1-0 uh, mm -hmm. all the way through. There was 
an outrageous amount of extra time. And in the 98th minute, the uh, PSG were awarded a really dubious penalty and Mbappe scored. And it was really upsetting. Mm. What's the headline? Eiffel Sauer. It is sour. It's very sad. Now, continuing our theme of non-conventional sex, The Telegraph has a big piece on being a swinger. Confessions of a swinger. It's not actually written by the woman involved, but she told her story to Georgina Fuller. So, we've read it. I think this is quite a sad piece, actually. (laughs) It starts off fun. You think, oh, swinging, this is hilarious, but it goes a bit dark, doesn't it? Yeah. Essentially what's happened is an unnamed woman and her husband, Jake, who've I hope that's not his real name, who've been married for 18 years, go to a swingers party and meet a fit couple, Ed and Laura, similar age to them, also live near London, have children around the same age. Type of people we would probably be friends with anyway. As soon as they say that, I think that's a really bad idea. Because you're going to meet them. You're going to run into each other at Penn. Yeah, you're definitely going to run into each other. A terrible idea. So a children's parties <laughs> <laughs> in some terrible soft play. Oh God! <laughs> they swapped numbers and met up with them at a smart hotel in London. Thank God it's smart, right? <laughs> Not a travel lodge. You're having to plug in a vibrator on the other side of the room. Um, <laughs> Ed and I had sex, but the other two just played around and watched. It was a bit awkward saying goodbye after that. I can't imagine why. And Jake was a bit cold with me for the next few days, but he seems to have forgotten about it since we got home. Jake has not forgotten. Jake Jake will never never forget. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just really upsetting. Well, it's not really upsetting. It is what it is. But basically, she really fancied Ed. Ed really fancied her. They have sex. The other two are left like lemons in the smart hotel room kind of going oh well this is fun isn't Playing it Mario Kart or whatever yeah exactly and then it finishes and she wants to meet up with Ed again and there's this really damning kind of paragraph where she dismisses him she basically says oh it used to be really fun I mean it's a long term relationship it used to be really amazing we, we were having sex all the time and now I want to re- re- try and recreate that spark by having sex with other people but mm-hmm. you know there's a bit about his business it's really sad he's put, it's a, it's a, she says he's put his business on hold to look after the children and, you know, she's grateful for that. But the fact he's a stay-at-home dad is not exactly a turn-on. Jesus fucking Christ, the ingratitude! <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's so it? awful, isn't it? It's really, like, it's it's not nice. You just genuinely come out the end of it and you think, OK, you've had a nice time, but we all feel sorry for Jake. That's, yeah. that's Dump it. her. <laughs> Jake, Get rid of her, Jake. Yeah, read this and go, I have to say, as, um, as part of my journalism career, I went to a swingers party. Mm. Mm. Yes, it was not very sexy. <laughs> it was in the early days of the internet. Um, and, and you literally just found it by kind of putting on the internet, swingers party near me. And then this person popped up and you went along. And it was, you can't have single men going along there. But when you, I went along there with my then boyfriend, it was in a really grim flat. It was, <laughs> (laughs) full of really quite grim people and it was like a terrible teenage party the lights were really up high there was no music there was this couple that looked like Fred and Rose West watching the telly when you say looked like (laughs) it was was terrible people were standing in the kitchen talking about their holidays (laughs) the most unsexy thing I've ever we're thinking Marbella this year (laughs) exactly like that and somebody started smoking they were like oh no (laughs) talking about how many days leave they've got to use up <laughs> it's just terrible. And then the the host tried to get the party started 
in his bedroom by basically having sex with his own wife. <laughs> it was just the worst. It was the worst <laughs> night ever. <laughs> and me and my then husband got kind of vague, some interest off this couple who were incredibly intimidating. I think he was a, like a, a physiotherapist for a football team or something. It was just really scary. <laughs> so we made our excuses and left. That's what happened. And I don't recommend them. Reader, I married him. <laughs> <laughs> the physio. <laughs> and that's the end of today's paper cuts. Thanks to John. Thank you very much. And thanks to Vittorio. Thank you. And there's just time to mention our fabulous paper cut shop. Yes, if you want to spend your hard-earned pence on some excellent gifts for your friends, or indeed for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just go to podmarket.co.uk. I'm going to say that again. Pod, P-O-D, market.co.uk, our online store. There you will find stylish paper cuts hoodies, excellent paper cuts mugs, and a special paper cuts t-shirt that's different from the one in our supporters club. I'm feeling slightly miffed about this. And Is there uh, another t-shirt? It's they a different given us. t-shirt that we haven't got. What? Okay. And there are other snazzy bits of merch from our companion podcasts, Oh God, What Now, The Bunker, This Is Not a Drill, and Origin Story. Plus, at the moment, it's 10% off for Blue Monday or Wet Wednesday or whatever. So click on podmarket.co.uk and then relax, knowing that all your Christmas desires are well and truly <laughs> met. <laughs> if you're a person who hates your family, then... <laughs> Come on, no, they're great. <laughs> Okay, that is not to forget our lovely Papercut supporters. They get a shout out on every show. So who do we have today? Uh, it's hello and thanks from me to John Cooper. High and large appreciation to John Curran. Hiya and ginormous gratitude to Tom Clark. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when The Guardian tells us that Spinal Tap is coming back and Paul McCartney and Elton John are going to be in it. Early reviews are saying it's going to be... 11 out of 10. Hey! <laughs> See you tomorrow! Paper Cuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with John Ellidge and Vittorio Angeloni. The producer was Liam Tate. Assistant producer was Adam Wright. And audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpin. Design by Jim Parrott. With original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. And group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. <laughs>